What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Dave, and this is episode 40. So that means we're going to have another edition of Top 5 waiting for you. It's Top 5 Power Forwards of all time from each of us, so make sure you're looking forward to that. Um, I will say, this has been kind of a tough week. My Braves lost in the playoffs to the hated Phillies, which was very unfortunate. Uh, So I'm still recovering from that a little bit. But you know what? We won last year, so it's fine. But even better, today on the day that we're recording, the NBA season kicks off. It's finally back. It's here. I'm ready for the Hawks to come out and, and show everybody what they're made of. And just in general for the NBA season, it's always a fun time. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about that so far? I've been looking forward to the NBA season tipping off since it ended. I'm looking forward to our tier list being proven right, except for the part about the Hawks not being number one at the end of the day. Like, let's let's get another Atlanta championship while we're at it. Now, we are going to do off the top. It's my turn to bring the prompt for that. And my first thought was to talk about the Atlanta Braves, but I'm a nice guy. So Don't do that to me, man. Yeah. I it's was too like, soon. I need to let my man heal. So eventually loyal listeners, you will get an off the top about the Braves, but today is not that day. Today we're going to talk about college football or at least Dave is. I'm, I'm just going to kick back, put my feet up, you know, now specifically, Dave and I have a buddy who's a huge Tennessee fan. And I would be remiss if we did not put out a congratulations for them beating Alabama for the first time since 2006 in what ended up being a really good game. Now, Dave, my question to you, because we know this friend is going to have that question, Do how, how excited should we be? about Tennessee. Do we pump the brakes? They got Georgia coming up in a few weeks. Not to mention like the playoffs thereafter. Is this their year or was this a fluky win against Alabama? What are your thoughts on this Tennessee team? Well, I don't think it was a fluke. Uh I think Alabama, Georgia, I mean even teams like Texas A&M, LSU like traditional powers like that. They're not as good this year as they've been in years past. I know that Georgia's still unbeaten. They're still a very good team. Don't get me wrong. Alabama's still a very good team. But I don't think that they are quite as dominant as they've been in years past. And so if there was a time for an underdog like Tennessee to kind of come out of nowhere and be the team from the SEC, then this would be a a good time for that. At the same time, I'm I'm looking at Tennessee and I'm like, you still got a bunch of tough games left on the schedule. And it's it's going to be tough to, you know, make it all the way through unscathed. I think even with that great win over Alabama, um, we, we've seen before like teams get really up for the, the, the big game and then slip versus a team that they might be overlooking or they can't get quite as into as they were for the, like the Alabama game. I mean, anything after that is going to seem like 
it's just not that big of a deal, right? So I think that's got to be a, a big focus for them is making sure that they don't drop um, their focus and that the, the job isn't done. I mean, beating Alabama, I'm sure, was one of their goals, but they've got to have higher aspirations than that. So um, that that you know, a lot of that comes down to coaching, which they've done a great job so far this year at as well. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say like Tennessee's going to win the national championship. I don't think that they will, but you got to commend Hendon Hooker for being a beast. Um, you got to commend that whole team for being able to to stick through that slog of a game uh, with Alabama. And you know what? I always say it. Alabama's kicking game, it, it gets them, bites them in the ass every, like almost every year. Um, and it happened again. I don't know why Alabama can't get a good kicker. Like surely they must be able to get the best one in the nation, but somehow they, they always end up getting choke artists. So, um, however, Tennessee, you know, even though Alabama could have won that if their kicker was better, they, they still won the game and I think that puts them in a really good position, but I'm not going to say that they that they should win the national championship. I think that's um, that's a little too bold for for my taste, but they do deserve a lot of credit for the way that they've played this year. I I hope they don't win the national championship. I mean, I want Michigan to. Of course, we are we all know I don't think that's happening. Uh, we we know about the spanking that Michigan has coming in November. Um, well. I, I will say, though, that was a dominant performance against a good Penn State team. So, you know, there is something to be said for that. Yeah, I'm happy about it. And our running backs look fantastic, um, especially Blake Corn, my man. But, yeah, what you said about Alabama's kicking was, like, every year. I swear Nick Saban's just like, you know what? Yeah, I have a couple scholarships left, but there's this five-star receiver and in three years, he'll be a monster. So I'll do that. And then, like, we'll walk on a kicker or whatever. And then every year, it's like, oh, well, there's your tragic flaw, buddy. Also, speaking of f- flaws, Nick Saban, with an uncharacteristically, horribly undisciplined football team. What the heck? So of the 131 FBS schools or FBS football teams going into that game, Alabama was ranked 118th in penalties. Uh, And then they broke the school record for penalties in a game against Tennessee. So that's, that's worth looking at. I mean, Saban out here slipping apparently, or just his players just don't care. I don't know. He he just doesn't have that same exact way about him, but yeah, this is not the same Alabama team we're used to see. Yeah. And to be fair, I think if it was at Alabama instead of at Tennessee, that probably would have been the difference in the game, but mm. you know, you, you got to give credit to those Tennessee fans for making that place go crazy. Um, and I'm sure be a, a pretty difficult place for, and th- this is what I always say too. These are all like, most of these guys are like teenagers still. And you're, yeah. you know, you're putting them on the field in these pressure backs, pressure packed situations in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people. And like, hundreds of thousands watching on TV, if not millions, like at the end of the day, they're still teenagers and there's still a high variable to the outcomes when you put a bunch of teenagers on the field and like you can coach them all you want, but some of them, the pressure's going to get to them. And that's just, I mean, that's perfectly understandable and natural. So um, yeah, I, 
we'll we'll see how this all shakes out, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, from my perspective, at least Florida State's not getting stomped every week. I mean, we've lost <laughs> to like every ranked team that we've played so far. But like, you know what? At least we're making it respectable. Losing to just like by a touchdown or so to um to Clemson, to NC State, like I'm not I'm not too mad about that. So at least it looks like we're gonna comfortably make a bowl game this year, which I mean, what does that really matter? But at least like we're on the right track. So that's something. But I think that'll wrap up off the top. And when we come back, we're going to get into some of our early season thoughts on the NFL season. All right. So we just went over some early impressions with the college football season or with the season so far. And now we're going to do a little bit more, but with the NFL and talk about a few more different things, a few more different teams and everything. We each have a couple takeaways thus far into the season. So Dave, what's your first like note, your first takeaway from the NFL season so far through six weeks of action? I wanted I wanted to highlight a couple of rookie classes where uh, a couple of these teams just aced their drafts, um, and it's been really impressive to see so far. Uh, number one, the Seahawks. Charles Cross has been very solid at tackle for him so far this year. That was, you know, that was their first round pick. It made a lot of sense. Um, Kenneth Walker, especially with Rashad Penny's inevitable injury uh season ending injury he had a really good game last week with his first start and even before that um he had shown a couple of of bursts and uh, kind of showing what he can do so i'm excited to see what he's going to do for the rest of the season and then the headliner Tariq woolen at corner this guy is a ball hawk he's having a, a similar kind of season to trayvon diggs last year where i think it's either four or five games in a row that he's gotten an interception. He also has a fumble recovered during that time. And this is a guy who has not played corner for very long either. He tested amazingly well at the combine. Uh, he, he ran like a four two six forty or something. And he's like six, four um, at corner. Absolutely ridiculous athlete. And he's been able to utilize that athleticism and turn it into turnovers and turn it into uh, ball production, which is something that you don't always see, especially from a rookie. Um, he's basically single-handedly changed this Seahawks defense. And uh, without him, I, I shudder to think of what they would look like because they've been pretty bad for the most part, except for when they they welcome the Cardinals, who are absolutely terrible as well. Um, but yeah, Seahawks draft class has been amazing. And then the New York Jets. I mean, I think we're going to touch on them a little bit later in the segment too, but um, Sauce Gardner has been just as good as we thought he would be, um, if not better, at corner for him. Brees Hall has really come into his own, claimed that RB1 slot for him, uh, and has had a couple of games now where he has gone off over 100 yards, um, rushing touchdowns. Like he He's the focal point of their offense now, which when you have Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco at quarterback, then, you know, that's probably going to be the case. Um, but even so, Garrett Wilson, he's had a really good season too for 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 what it is. Um, we we knew he would probably come in and, and be a pretty good receiver. Despite the lackluster quarterback play, he still had a good start to the season. And I think 
will probably just keep growing as the season goes on. So those two teams, the Seahawks and the Jets, really did did a great job with their draft classes. And there are some other guys I'm not even mentioning who have uh, played some roles. Jermaine Johnson, of course, for the Jets. Um, so yeah, I, I think credit has to go to, to both of these teams. Um, now, one of these teams has benefited a lot more in the win column than than the other, but still, the, both of these teams are, are looking pretty good for the future with, with these guys. And that's encouraging for them, both of these teams in a rebuild. I mean, Seahawks are starting their rebuild, having traded uh, Russell Wilson in the offseason. But the Jets, I mean, the Jets have been rebuilding since, like, 1986. Like, honestly. Uh, Good for the Jets to, like, actually hit on a few of these. We don't really see that very often. Like, oh. And uh, also, I mean, the Jets did well drafting. um, I've been drafting fairly well in the past few years anyway. I mean, Zach Wilson, we'll see. But, like pieces outside of that. Like, I feel like they're doing well to build something. I don't know that their uh, win to loss ratio is going to be sustained this year. I pretty much doubt that, but yeah, good things happening there. And, you know, like I said, good signs for the Seahawks that are starting that rebuilding process. Now you mentioned um, with the Seahawks, like, yeah, their rookie corner like coming out, uh, getting interceptions. There's a defensive stat that I wanted to bring attention to, and that's sacks. And I'm looking at like who's leading the league in stat in sacks right now, and it's Alex Highsmith, who's a linebacker for the Steelers, who coincidentally is not named T.J. Watt. But I just think it's funny that like, okay, T.J. Watt. You know, he goes down with that injury week one. In steps Alex Highsmith into that role. Who, like, this is a guy who had six sacks total last year in 16 games. Now through six games, he has six and a half sacks. Is this just like, is Pittsburgh just like that team where, you know, whoever lines up at linebacker is going to get sacks? Just like a few years back where whoever lined up at running back for the Cowboys was going to get, like, 2,000-ish yards or whatever, or, you know, something absurd. Not 2,000, sorry. Was going to get, like, well over 1,000 yards and plenty of touchdowns running behind that monster offensive line. Yeah, I mean, we see a a similar thing with the Rams where the attention that Aaron Donald brings enables other players on the exterior to be able to get home. And whether or not they are winning their one-on-one matchups frequently doesn't really matter because a lot of the time... They're only going to be in one-on-one matchups. They're not going to have to deal with double teams. So we've seen guys like Leonard Floyd, um, like Dante Fowler, guys who like outside of the the Rams that they didn't really do too much, but because they had that defensive presence um, in Aaron Donald, they were able to feed off of that. So Highsmith last year, I mean, six X is still not too bad, um, especially because TJ Watt <laughs> grabbed so many of them as well, but him, like Cam Hayward, these are guys who are disrupting. And so it, all that to say, it is kind of surprising that Highsmith has done so well so far. I mean, he's another guy who has really good athletic traits. Um, and it was kind of a project when they drafted him, but um, he's really come through and stepped up for him in a big way. 
Of course, they had that huge win over the weekend. Mike Tomlin, he's not he's not dead in the water yet. So we'll we'll see if they're able to um, to build off of that win and and see what happens. But so moving on to my next point, New York football is back? Question mark. I know I know we talked about the Jets a little bit earlier. They're four and two. The New York football giants, five and one. Can you believe it? So much credit has to go to both of these head coaches, specifically Brian Dable. I think that when we uh, were ranking uh, these teams in our tier list, we didn't take that coaching hire into consideration nearly as much as we should have because he has come in and lit a fire under this team. I mean, a team that has been one of, I mean, kind of like the Bears uh, in that they've just been boring. They just haven't had any sort of life um their play was just abysmal and lifeless at times. Now it's invigorating. Their defense is playing a lot better. They're able to um, to focus on Saquon Barkley as the focus of their offense. He has been uh, looking like close to at least the Saquon Barkley of old, like in his rookie year. Uh, and Daniel Jones is not turning the ball over nearly as much as he has in the past. He has been effective running the ball. And this is without like basically any of their receivers. <laughs> like they haven't had much production from them at all. There have been injuries. Uh, Kenny Galladay is basically like a shadow of his former self. He can't get separation. Sterling Shepard uh, is out for the season now with an injury. They just got rookie Wandale Robinson back. He scored a touchdown. Uh, Daniel Bellinger at tight end randomly has been going off the past couple weeks for him. Like this is a team and like Evan Neal hasn't even been playing well at, at tackle for him. Their first round pick last year. And somehow the giants are still finding ways to win. And it's very, very impressive. Uh, like I said, coach Dable has got to be, I mean, he almost already has the uh, coach of the year award in his trophy case. Like it's almost already there because of how good of a job he's done. Like they've got a lot of football left to go for sure, but it's very impressive what they have done. And the jets about four and two, like you said, I don't, I don't know exactly how sustainable it is, but you know, Robert Sala, when they brought him over from San Francisco as a defensive minded guy, that did not really show up last year. This year though, it's showing up in a much bigger way. You talked about uh, the jets drafting. Well, how about Quinn and Williams? We thought like th- this guy is like a you know a future star in the NFL. He was absolutely dominating at Alabama. Had a qu- kind of quiet first couple years. This year he's breaking out in a, in a big way for him, being a leader on that Jets defense. And like I said, Sauce Gardner at the back. He he's been uh, really good for him too. Um, some of their free agency signings like DJ Reed have have worked out well too. So you got to give a lot of credit to the Jets defense. Um, and like I said, Brees Hall has been a revelation at running back for him. And then they've got a, a really good uh, young wideout room, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson. It's been very impressive. And then I think offensively, they just need Zach Wilson to take the next step. And if if he can, then, you know, the sky's the limit for him, honestly, with the way that they've been playing. So credit to both of them. And like, I know we joke about the NFC East, or as we like to say, the NFC least. Not anymore. Like, sorry, Mike. I know that you love saying that, but Eagles are six and zero. Giants are five and one. Cowboys are four and two. And then the Commanders are down there at two and four. But like, 
you got to say that so far, they have been up there for the best division in football, which is obviously a stark turnaround from what we've seen in the past, but you got to give them credit. Like, the NFC East, they've been balling. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, key phrase there is the the so far part, right? I mean, who knows? Maybe the Jets just drop their next 11 straight. I mean, that's unlikely. But do I expect the Giants and Jets and Cowboys to all finish with winning records this year? Probably not. I feel like there we'll see some regression back towards like what we're used to. But yeah, uh, the NFC East certainly does not look like the worst division in the NFL by any means right now. But we're going to have to see that for more than a season before they shed the NFC least. Well, actually, take that back. I'll knock it off if at the end of the season we don't look at them and go, okay, yeah, they did just kind of, you know, sputter out at the end and they all are trash again. But right now, and I mean, that's what we're doing our reaction to, right? Right now, NFC is looking good. Except for the commanders, but you know, whatever. Uh, you can't have everything. Well, Carson no. Wentz is the quarterback, so it's self-explanatory. Yeah. I mean, this is why we put them low. We won't. We won't talk about our other picks just yet. But um, speaking of teams that are winning unexpectedly, let me talk about the Falcons. Uh, Falcons looking competitive in every game. Uh, three and three record. And looking at, well, first of all, our wins are against the Seahawks, Browns, and 49ers. I mean, the 49ers one, that's nice. Uh, they're being forced to play Jimmy Garoppolo after that Trey Lance entry, which works out for my fantasy team. But no matter. Looking at our losses, which I think is more important right now, we have a six-point loss to the Bucks, and that's our biggest loss. We also have a four-point loss to the Rams, Oh, that Bucks loss was an away game. We have a four-point loss to the Rams in L.A. And then a one-point loss to the Saints to start the season. Uh, on the one hand, I'm like, this is good, right? Like, good culture type of things. We're competitive in every game. Uh, defense looking good-ish. Uh, I mean better than our offense for the most part. Uh, our run game, even without Cordero Patterson, is not bad. Uh, Tyler Algier, uh, the I think he was a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick, something like that. Uh, he's not doing too bad. Here's my issue. Um, oh, this isn't even a mention, the fact that we could have had a chance at winning that Bucks game were it not for that roughing the passer call, which, Falcons bias aside, that's probably the worst call I've seen. At least that's certainly the worst roughing the passer call that I've ever seen in my life. It's among the worst calls that I've seen in any NFL game. But I'm looking at this like when we did our NFL tier list episode, we talked about how the Falcons would win meaningless games and we called them meaningless because we weren't going to be like actually competitive when it comes to like looking at that championship. Uh, and with that in mind, like we want to look towards the draft. And so we called them meaningless games because like, yeah, we win, but all it 
actually impacts is our draft position worsening it, right? And we said that would happen at the end of the season. And if they're getting a head start on that now, we know they're going to do it again later. Like, I was really hoping that we'd be one in five right now with like a series of like one point losses to these other teams and then like a 30 point beatdown of the Saints. Like, I like culturally, I like this. I, I like what I'm seeing from Atlanta uh, in that regard. But the record is not ideal. But I guess beggars can't be choosers, right? Whenever like something good is happening with the Falcons, we have to like sit back and accept that. Yeah. To be honest, looking at their schedule for the rest of the season, I can I can see another five or six wins, which means that they are gonna be hovering around five hundred, which also means they're going to be hovering in like the mid teens for draft positioning which is obviously not ideal. But like they face the Panthers twice who are terrible, the Bears, the Commanders who are terrible, Steelers who are not as good this year, Saints, um Cardinals who aren't as good. Like they're really only the super tough games, Bengals, Chargers, uh Ravens. Those are and I guess Buccaneers if you still want to count them in. Um and then all the rest of the games are like we we'll see what happens. So on one hand, it's like defense and a solid running game are leading us to wins. And it's the Falcons. Like, what is this? Um, and of course, if it wasn't due to a late collapse versus the Saints and a, com- a comebacks that were just too late against the Rams and the Bucks, like the Falcons could easily have a winning record right now. So it is interesting to to look at that and, and at least see like at least Arthur Smith's getting somewhere with with the players and like kind of putting his stamp on the team. And it seems like, you know, oh, our our offensive line is a lot better at run blocking than it is at pass blocking. Let's run the ball <laughs> like <laughs> and oh, Marcus Mariota's a dual threat quarterback who's probably better with his legs and with his arm. Let's run the ball like it's not rocket science. So I, I am happy to see that, though. Unfortunately, Casey Hayward on IR, AJ Terrell got injured as well in that game, uh, this past game. So not looking quite as good at cornerback moving forward. So we'll see how how that ends up working out. But um, yeah, the Falcons have been looking a lot better. Now, speaking of uh, some teams that <clears throat> we're going to be facing, um, I was I mentioned the Rams, the Bucks, the Chargers. I know that before you said like we won't mention kind of where we've put some of these other teams. All I'm going to say is I've there are five um right I'll say four teams that have really disappointed this year so far. Packers, Broncos, Rams and the Bucks. They're all at least like around 500 if not below. And there is one key, like, commonality between all of these teams. And that's bad offensive line play. Like, some of these are due to injury. Don't get me wrong. Like, I understand that. But the Bucks really struggling after losing Ryan Jensen, Alex Kappa. Like, 
they are they are struggling um big time on that offensive line. Tom Brady, like if you give him time to throw, he can pick you apart. If not, then that's that's gonna be a struggle. The Rams is the same thing. Andrew Whitworth retiring, massive blow to to their O line. They have they have not had nearly as much time to throw. Um offensively, it's basically been like all right, let's just feed Cooper Cup the ball and hopefully he can carry us to the win. Their running game is basically non-existent. The Broncos, literally, I think they're they're averaging the fewest points per game in the NFL this season. Their offensive line is absolutely terrible. And Russell Wilson is not the Russell Wilson of 10 years ago. He does not have the mobility to, to be able to um, get around and evade these would-be sackers. Um, after like two, you know, one or two seconds um, of their speed bumps of their offensive line, like not to mention Garrett Bowles out for this season as well, um, their left tackle. So like the Broncos, once again, their offensive line, really majorly disappointing, especially like you would think Russell Wilson be like, oh yes, my offensive line has been terrible my entire career with the Seahawks. Let me go to a team that actually has a good offensive line. Nope, it's literally just the same thing, Russ. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then the Packers, they have also been dealing with not as great of an offensive line. Now, this one isn't quite as bad as the rest, but it still has been a factor. And Aaron Rodgers does not look the same. His receivers cannot get open, or it takes them too long to get open. And then by that point, the offensive line is um, not able to to keep protection for him. So... I know Mike and I talk a lot about the importance of the offensive line, probably more than a lot of other people do. Uh, But this just goes to show, like if you do not have a good solid offensive line and you're not playing to its strengths, like the Falcons are right now, then you're going to struggle to score points. You're, you're going to be hard to watch on TV, which if you watch the Broncos and the chargers play in Monday night football, you'll know what I'm talking about. That was absolutely a terrible game. Um, But yeah, it's just it just goes to show offensive line play is just so important. Yeah, we will definitely stress offensive line play from time to time, especially like when we do our our draft preview and draft review episodes. Like even this past year we were talking about like all the offensive linemen that like we would personally like to get that could make huge impacts on teams right away and why it's so important to invest on in these players. And now like with those teams that you highlighted, we're seeing like, we're seeing that not, or we're seeing teams that aren't able to capitalize on good offensive lines. Rather they're being punished by atrocious ones. And that's, this actually leads into something that I've been noticing on the stat sheets and that's fumbles. Just interestingly enough, looking at the top, 15 players in the NFL in terms of like most fumbles there are so there are 15 players that have lost at least two fumbles of those 15 players 12 of them are quarterbacks so Baker Mayfield is leading this with five fumbles and that's a Baker thing like we could talk about Baker and his struggles but what I really wanted to bring attention to with this stat is that like we're seeing quarterbacks get hit. We're seeing them lose the ball. And this is exactly why you need a good offensive line. I mean, we have Tom Brady uh, right at the bottom of this. Aaron Rodgers is among these players. It's one thing like when you look at like Lamar Jackson down here and you're like, okay, there's a scrambling quarterback. It's going to happen. 
But when you get to the other players like Matt Ryan, sorry, um, Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jameis Winston, the guys that don't necessarily want to run that often, but they're getting hit behind the line. They're losing the ball. Frankly, I'm shocked Brady doesn't have more fumbles. I'm shocked Russell Wilson doesn't have more because they're taking beatings week in and week out. But I guess kudos to non-quarterbacks. We haven't really seen a fumble epidemic from anybody else. I guess Melvin Gordon is worth mentioning with his three already. But Well, not only that, but like, he is third on their death chart. They were literally running out Latavius Murray and Mike Boone ahead of Melvin Gordon yesterday. He's basically like his time with the Broncos is basically like more or less over. And we were thinking that Javante Williams was potentially going to be in a timeshare with them. Like Melvin Gordon, you just, you, you should have just retired. Like you shouldn't have tried to go back for one more year. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, we were saying about Melvin Gordon, like even at the beginning of the season, like just give Javante the ball. Like don't even entertain this Melvin Gordon timeshare. Yeah, he should have been done. Um, this is something that we were talking about ahead of time. But like Melvin Gordon should be, I think we're going to be done talking about the NFL thus far. I mean, obviously at the towards the end of the season, later in the season, we're going to come back with more observations. We're going to come back with like reviewing our cheerlist and everything. But it's episode 40, which is a multiple of five, which means it's time for top five coming up. And we have a mini-series to continue. So when we come back, we're going to get into our top five for this episode. So stick around. All right, it's time to get back into top five. This episode, we've got our top five power forwards of all time. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to check out episode 35, which is where we ranked we each ranked our top five centers of all time, which we started because of Bill Russell in honor of him after his passing. So now we're going to get into our power forwards. Um, Mike is going to go ahead and start with his number five, then I'll say my number five, and then we'll just go back and forth until we get to each of our number ones, respectively. So Mike, who do you have at number five on your list? So before I reveal number five, when we did the centers, I had a, um, a sort of disclaimer, like this is how I'm basing my, uh, my ranking. And it was like three qualities that I was looking at or three, uh, attributes that I was looking at. I'm looking at individual success slash accolades slash stats. I'm looking at their contribution to their team success, and I'm looking at the eye test. And that's just a way to sort of qualify how all of these uh, rankings are coming about for me, just in case you think about coming at me in the comments or whatever. But without further ado, my number five power forward of all time, Sir Charles Barkley. Uh, the round mound of rebound himself, the Chuckster. Now, let's get this one out of the way first. When you think power forward, you think of like your your six nine, six ten, six eleven kind of guy, right? Charles Barkley, six foot six. Uh, depending on which measurement you might you find, some say six five. Um, the eye test for Charles Barkley is kind of wild. Like this is sort of the uh the trailblazer of get your big man getting the rebound and then running the floor right and we saw this a bit with Wilt Chamberlain but you know um 
Char uh, Wilt Chamberlain was more like anomalous where Charles Barkley was like, okay, no, now we're like, he's paving the way for the modern big to sort of do this. And now we see a bunch of power forwards doing it because of that influence. Um, we got an 11 time all NBA, um, all NBA selection, 11 time all-star selection. Now his rookie year, he averaged 14 points and just under nine rebounds per game. But after that, he averaged 20, at least 20 points a game for the next 11 seasons and at least 10 rebounds for each of the next 15 seasons. That, that was the rest of his career. Now, he gets roasted a bit, especially on TNT, for not having won a ring. I will say, some players don't win rings because their performance falls off in the playoffs. And that wasn't really the case with Charles Barkley. Uh, Charles Barkley kept running into monsters left and right, whether it was the the Stockton Malone Jazz, uh, the um, the Supersonics uh, back when they actually had like Sean Kemp when they had like good players, um, or when they existed. Yeah, <laughs> and existed, um, and of course Michael Jordan's Bulls in 1993, or um. Yeah, 93. I'm right. And and Jordan took six games to beat Charles Barkley. And let me tell you, that finals matchup, Jordan and Barkley were like the best two players on the planet at the time. Uh this wasn't like some some random little Suns team uh that just happened to like scrape together the right wins at the right time. No, this was like a man on a mission, Charles Barkley willing his team there. But then he faces Jordan and Pippen. I mean, what are you going to do? But look no further than the Dream Team uh, from 92. And um, Barkley ended up winning NBA MVP the year after. But Dream Team in 92. Yeah, we know this for having like Jordan and uh, Bird and Magic and all them. But... Even the guys on the team were talking about Charles Barkley as being their best player. He led the team in scoring despite being like fifth in minutes on that team. Like he was a monster at only six six. Now, the lack of rings does hold him back a bit. Uh the one I can't remember if it was one or two finals appearances. Um but he is missing a little bit of those accolades, but the eye test speaks for itself. His stats are wild. So at number five, I at least have to mention Charles Barkley. Yeah, that's a good one. Shout out. Also, this is not super relevant to this, I guess, but like shout out to that whole inside the NBA crew on TNT for signing new contracts. So that show gets, um, you know, kits to keep going and we get to keep having all of the you know the that really fun insight and joking back and forth and and all that like that's it's just such an iconic sh show and charles barkley is a big part of that so uh shout out to to them um and t and turner for getting that done um yeah charles barkley like you said uh a great player first of all like one of the more entertaining nick nicknames of all time <laughs> <laughs> i'm like who came up with that one? Um, but yeah, um, I, 
like you like you said, he does get ridiculed some uh, for his lack of ranks, but still definitely one of the um, better power forwards um, in NBA history. However, he is not on my list because uh, coming in at number five, I have instead Kevin Garnett. Now, KG got to be viewed as one of the best defensive potentially players of all time, especially um, at the at a post player position, nine time all defensive first team player, including defensive player of the year in 2008, which is the same year that he won uh, the NBA championship with the Celtics. Um, he also he won MVP in 2004, 15 time NBA all star made an all NBA team nine times, including four times in the first team. Um, and just generally speaking, um, a major force for the Timberwolves and the Celtics, <laughs> not quite as much. So for the Nets, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that trade between the Celtics and the Nets, that was infamous to say the least. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Garnett, I think statistics wise, um, he's up there too, like 18 points a game, 10 rebounds, um, a little under four assists. And like I said, defensively was a menace. Um, definitely one of the more intense players to play as well, I would say. Um, and yeah, I think, I think he just sneaks into my, to my top five. There were a few other options, um, that I was considering as well, but I think the length of his career, um, the, the defense, and then also winning that one championship just put him over the top a little bit for me. And I definitely respect Kevin Garnett's game. I mean, spoiler alert, he's not in my top five. And the reason for it is because, well, I haven't number six. Like when we get, when we get to honorable mentions, that's when I was planning on bringing him up, but you uh, beat me to the punch there. So I don't have to now. Good. Now at number four, this will probably be my, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe you'll agree with me. Who knows? Uh, Potential for a controversial pick here. But at number four, already, I'm going Giannis, the Greek freak. I know he's only 27, which is part of my argument. Like, how much he's accomplished already, how unbelievable he is already. And he still, realistically, could have another eight, nine years ahead of him. He's already won an MVP in back-to-back years uh, from 2019 and 2020. Uh, Not to mention also winning Defensive Player of the Year in 2020. We're talking about, I mean, we've talked about Giannis and sung his praises several times on this podcast before. But this is the NBA's two-way superstar. He will carry the load for you on offense. Uh... He'll lead his team in all five major statistical categories, and then he'll go clamp up your uh, your matchup's best player or your opponent's best player. Um, f- already four All NBA, All Defensive First Team, and he's he's won a championship. Like I'm sorry, Charles Barkley. When I'm when I look at Charles Barkley versus Giannis. And I look at like, well, how, who do I put at four? Who do I put at five between these two? Because obviously having played way more so far, Charles is going to have way more of the career stats and accolades, right? Well, 
the eye test doesn't really tell me that uh, Barkley was better. Looking at looking at the tape, Giannis is better to me, and he's won a championship. He's brought his team like over the finish line, and I know he didn't have to face Jordan there, but I don't really care. And the reason I don't care is because Charles Barkley didn't just have that one year to win a championship. He had his whole career. And it's so it's not that in 93 he didn't cross the finish line. It's from 1985 to 1998 or or 9 or whatever. He didn't cross the finish line. And I'm not trying to rag on him because I know like Shaq will do that enough for me. But like that is sort of the the reason that I put Giannis above. And I'm not I don't know that Giannis can't get higher on this list. He's only 27. So I also had Giannis at number four. Um uh, I was thinking about like hmm Garnett or Giannis, um, just because of Garnett's like just for for the fact that he played like twenty one seasons, so obviously he has way more counting stats and awards and all of that. Um I think in terms of like the best because also we got to look at like who's the best player in the NBA I don't think Kevin Garnett really could claim that title um Giannis I think is the best player in the NBA right now um and so to me that that and the fact that you like you said he's in his peak right now he's still got quite a few years left um also respect to him for staying with the Bucks and deciding to win a championship there um Garnett went to the Celtics and won it um, with like what basically was like the original super team um, and didn't do it with the Timberwolves. So like, yeah, I mean, you, you already mentioned a lot of the stuff about Giannis. I mean, that closeout game that he had um, where he scored 50, he was just uh, absolutely unstoppable. Finally figured out his free throw woes and you just couldn't do, you just couldn't stop him. Um, he was going to win his team the championship in that game. There's no doubt about it. Um, a couple of other tidbits that are interesting. He's the only player in NBA history to average at least 25 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, one steal, one block in multiple seasons. Um, and he's also um, the third player to win MVP and Defensive Player of the Year awards in the same season, also achieved by Michael Jordan and, and Hakeem Olajuwon as well. So like he's already reaching some of these statistical heights. Um, two MVPs is already amazing. Obviously finals MVP um, four all NBA first team selections, including also four NBA all defensive first team selections, most improved player. Like he's already well on his way. I wouldn't just like you said, I would not be surprised at all if he, if he ends up um, even higher on this list moving forward. In fact, I, I'm i looking at number three, and I was sitting on this one for a little bit, but I think Giannis is going to need some more like counting numbers to get past Dirk Nowitzki. Now, Dirk Nowitzki, when I talked about Charles Barkley, I talked about him setting the way for... You know, your uh, your big man grabbing the rebound and then actually pushing the tempo instead of just like immediately passing it to the point guard and then like bringing up the rear six seconds later, right? 
Well, Dirk Nowitzki was a different kind of trendsetter. Opening the door for your big to step outside the three-point line as a reliable shooter. And frankly, there hasn't been a player yet that does it as well as Dirk does. Uh, this is the best shooting big man ever. Sorry, Carl Anthony Towns. Like, I know you want to be that. You ain't there. Like, you are not Dirk. Um, as Dirk evidenced winning the three-point contest in 2006. But now, well, timeout. Kevin Garnett, like, since you had brought him up, had that mid-range shot. Didn't really have much of a three-point shot. But, you know, before these players, it was very much like, oh, you're a power forward. You know, you're going to go bang down low. You're going to play that defense. You're going to get rebounds, like, just like the center, right? Post-scoring, yada, yada, yada. Now, like, we're looking at in the NBA, like, oh, your power forward can't shoot threes? Like, what are you doing? Like, we're looking at, like, John Collins. Yeah, you come in the league, like, super athletic, but, like, can you improve your three-point shot? This is the Dirk Nowitzki effect. Now, Dirk, number six all-time scorer in NBA history, certainly the best European player, Um, 14-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA, winning MVP in 2007, spent 13 seasons averaging over 21 a game. Now, people talk about how he's like not the best rebounder for a big, which I feel like is a little harsh because he usually flirted with like eight or nine rebounds a game. Um, and that's not bad for someone that spends a lot of like the, um, the offensive work either a with the ball of it in his hands to start with, like in that high block or like in the high post rather, or, on the three-point line. Of course he's not going to get as many rebounds as someone who's camped out on the low block all, the entire game. And the other thing that, like, when, this was in a very early episode of the Mike and Dave podcast, so shout out to longtime listeners. But when we did our top five favorite moments in sports, one of mine was 2011. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki leading the Dallas Mavericks past the super team that was the Miami Heat of LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. He put the team on his back. Um, So to come back to Charles, and I said, like, you know, yeah, you did run into Jordan, but at the end of the day, you didn't slay the monster. And in any of your other seasons, you didn't. What, like, there aren't that many, like, bigger monsters to slay than that Heat team. And Dirk Nowitzki did it. Averaging 26 and 10 on that series, winning finals MVP, not to mention shooting 98% from the free throw line in that series. He's a career 88% free throw shooter. Like, just the purest touch from a seven footer. Like, Giannis might eventually pass him, but for the game changer that he is, I have to have Dirk Nowitzki at three. I agree. I am, I struggled with this because I think it's not just about counting stats. I think it's also about impact. And so, therefore, I'm going to not say Dirk at number three. Spoiler alert, he is going to come later. Uh so I, I'm going to go with, with a different player instead. I'm going to go with Carmelo. Now, 
I do. I have a question. Do we know who Carl Anthony Towns? Do we know if his parents were like huge Carl Malone fans? Because apparently Carl Malone's middle name is Anthony. His name is literally Carl Anthony Malone. So like, is that just with the obviously with the K? So surely that can't just be a coincidence, right? I mean, maybe it is, but like, you got one superstar NBA big man, another kid where like, maybe they just knew he was going to be an NBA player from his conception. I don't know. Um, But anyway, so that's, that's an interesting tidbit. Regardless, Carl Malone nicknamed the mailman, which once again, because that's, that's one of the, the better nicknames and more recognizable nicknames. Um, Obviously, a major stud for the Utah Jazz spent his first 18 seasons with the Jazz, uh, pairing up with John Stockton to to uh, create one of the more uh, formidable duos in NBA history. Uh, two-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA first team from 1989 to 1999, that's kind of crazy. He also chipped in three all defensive first team selections as well. Um, 25 points a game, 10 rebounds, three and a half assists. I mean, this guy was unbelievable uh, post score. However, no championships. He made the playoffs every single season of his career, including three finals appearances. Couldn't do it. Even one with the Lakers at the end of his career couldn't do it. And so I think that's what puts him to number three instead of number two in my rankings is that Dirk had that magical 2011 year and beat LeBron and all those guys. And I think that kind of crowning moment, as well as the impact that Dirk had on the game um, and, you know, big men shooting threes and um, all that, like, like you already spoke on um i think that just kind of puts dirk above malone but like that's no disservice to to malone at all he was i mean he's obviously one of the best um power forwards of all time and best big men of all time you know i was gonna talk about carl malone at two and well let me talk about carl malone (laughs) because i have him at two uh two-time mvp 97 99 uh but while he gets recognized for those two years, really his prime didn't really end. For like it was like eighteen years of just like yeah, I'm just gonna show up to work and like get this twenty five real quick. Like don't mind me. Uh, number three all time leading scorer, seven number seven all time leading rebounder. <laughs> I am entertained with his Lakers. Like oh. I can't help but notice that the Lakers just three-peated. That might be a fun team to join. <laughs> Talk of, I mean, I'll I'll cut him some slack because this is the last year of his career. Dude's like 41 or something. Like, you know, it's not like he's doing this at 25. But, like, good lord. <laughs> like, have some decency. But. But. This is, uh, is going to be a first. In this mini series, I'm gonna change my mind. 
and I'm going to to come to Dave's side because I'm assuming Dave has Dirk at number two. And that is correct. And I will say, I struggled with two through four quite a bit. And like I said before, Dirk, like I struggled playing him there. Like I was, I don't know. When I was looking at Malone, I just can't help but think, like, how do you never win a championship? Obviously, we're going to get to the top five point guards. Whether or not Stockton makes R5, you'll have to listen to find out. He's top 10. You spend, like, your whole career with a top 10 all-time point guard, the all-time assist leader, the all-time steal leader. I I don't care that Jordan's in the same era. You can't beat him once with that with that pick and roll. Like, come on. Uh, Yeah. Between the two things that you mentioned, the uh, the game changing and the crowning moment specifically, one year in Dirk's career where we can go, look at that Herculean effort paying off, and we can never say that about Carl Malone. I changed my mind. Carl Malone can't be number two. We're we're putting Dirk at two on the Mike and Dave podcast. A, it's your boy. Um. I say ranking how good these guys are on our on our podcast, um, but yeah, I when when you were kind of going through uh, and talking about Dirk like that, I was like, I I I got to put him at number two, even if he doesn't have the stats. Like, like like you said, there are additional factors that go into this, um, and also like to be fully transparent, Dirk is way more of my era <laughs> than Carl Malone, so it's also like. I grew up knowing of, you know, knowing of Dirk and watching him play and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that, that was a, a big factor too, but um, okay. I don't really have anything else to say about Dirk at number as my number two. Um, so do you want to just go ahead and skip to your number one? Yeah. Drum roll, please. Because I'm sure you're all like, hanging on to figure out who this could possibly be it's tim duncan who else would it be come on it's the best power forward of all time no question end the show the big fundamental five rings listen now we talk about the spurs dynasty as just that right really this is the the nba dynasty like i guess the warriors now but like before that it was the spurs and that was just what NBA dynasty meant in this uh in this century. Uh credit to Greg Popovich, in my opinion, best coach of all time. But remember that the NBA is a superstar driven league. And I will maintain that the Spurs were what they were first and foremost, not because of Pop, but because of Tim Duncan. Uh Tim Duncan is not the uh, the most exciting guy, right? Now, I mean that both on and off the court. But focusing on the off the court right now, if uh, if LeBron ever wants a coach gone, he's gone, right? It, but Tim Duncan stepped into that organization and said, I get that I'm the best player, but I need the rest of the team to know that Pop can just like yell at me in practice and like I'm just anyone else so that they'll all buy into this system and everything. Um and then for Pop to have this model of like excellence and consistency his entire career, uh, it's similar to the Belichick Brady thing. But in NBA, like you can have more of an impact on your team's success as an individual. 
because you play both ends of the of the of the ball or both sides of the ball and and frankly you're a higher percentage of the players on the on the court um Tim Duncan two-time MVP from 2002 to 2003 um 10-time first team all NBA eight all defensive first team 15-time all-star He's fifth all-time in blocks and sixth in rebounds. Now, here's the thing. He came into the league balling, uh, talking about a rookie averaging 21, 12, and two and a half blocks. His second year, he leads the Spurs. And don't talk to me about David Robinson because he was washed at this point. Uh, second league, or sorry, his second year in the league, he leads the Spurs to their first of five championships, five championships. Now, part of the issue with Tim Duncan is that he had his like eight or so monster years where he was averaging 20 plus and like 10, 11, 12 rebounds, two, two and a half blocks, whatever. And then we see that the numbers, especially the points, start to dip a little bit closer to like 16, 17, 18. Um, and people misinterpret this as his prime ending. That's not what happened. Let's get one thing straight. Tim Duncan could have been averaging 25 at age 35. Okay. Uh, he just chose not to like, he bought into the Spurs style of basketball and he became what they needed, which was uh, someone that could allow like the likes of Tony Parker, Monty Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard, other players from the perimeter to have the ball in their hands more, take on more of a scoring role. He was more of a leadership type, uh, banging down low, getting rebounds, setting screens, uh, making passes out of the post instead of going straight to work. He made the Spurs what they were, and it was easy for the Spurs to become such a dynasty when they have far and away the best power forward that has ever touched a basketball on their team. Very well said. I'll just add a few things. I think Tim Duncan has got to be one of the most efficient players ever in terms of him being able to like like you said he's not going there trying to get his he's making the right play every single time his basketball iq is obviously very high like all those spurs players that was probably the, like if you had to say like their one um commonality between all of them is that basketball iq and being able to play together and understanding each other's games um, which led to so, so much of their success. Um, yeah, I think Tim Duncan, like like you said, he's kind of boring, but he, you know, when he was asked about that, he said, if you show excitement, then you may also show disappointment or frustration. If your opponent, if your opponent picks up on this frustration, you're at a disadvantage. And that's just such a great way to, to, to describe it. Cause like he was just very even keeled. He could have been having a great night or an off night, you wouldn't know he's the same guy. Um, and so I think he, there's a lot to be commended for that. Um, and just also the amount of like the, the two way player, right? 15 time, all defensive player as well as 15 time, all-star and um, 15 time, all NBA selections too. Like his defensive performance did not drop off along with his offense performance, like he was just as consistent as you can possibly get. In addition to like we, like we talked about 
winning those five championships and being the best player leading by example. Um, really, you can't say enough about this guy. And all this for a guy who didn't even start playing basketball until high school, which is just absolutely crazy to think about too. Um, and yeah, I think, I think he, there's not too, too much debate in my opinion of who the best power forward is. Um, and for all of you out there who might be saying he's a center, he's a power forward who could also play center. Um, so yeah, I, I think because of that distinction, it's, it's a pretty clear number one choice for us. What's funny is like, you think about Kevin Garnett, who you mentioned at five and how you describe him as like extremely expressive, right? Uh, Garnett's one of the biggest trash talkers in NBA history. Now, there's a funny story from Garnett talking about Tim Duncan's quote trash talk. And it's basically exactly what you'd expect uh, from Tim Duncan. Garnett describes it as like the, su- the subtle stuff, but basically he'd be uh, guarding a, a player and he'd just say little things like, Nope, nice try. Almost <laughs> better luck next time. <laughs> Which is so like nonchalant, like he's not even necessarily trying to like get in your head, but the way he's just like, oh yeah, uh, on the next possession, just like give me the ball. I'm going to do like a casual, like back down into a hook shot, move on with my life. Meanwhile, like people are sweating, trying to like score anything on him. It's just like how it's no big deal for him to just like be the dominant force that he is. And I will say, Maybe if his game were more um, exciting, and I don't mean that to be condescending because I love it, but like just, you know, flashy, right? Like pulling out windmill dunks instead of hook shots or whatever. Maybe, just maybe, Duncan would get more goat talk than he does. I mean, it's hard to like rally around a guy that's just not exciting necessarily, like in the tra- in the typical sense on the court and who doesn't go out and say crazy things or have a big like media following off the court, just someone that goes to work and does his thing. Like, but the stat line, the accolade, the accolades, the effect on winning, like this is goat behavior. For sure. I mean, there's definitely a difference between him and like some of the other players who will, who will get to at the, you know, small forward, shooting guard, point guard positions. But as far as a big goes, I think he's definitely up there for um, the greatest post player of all time too, between the power forwards and the centers. So that wraps up our top five power forwards of all time. Um, It ended up being just that one difference at number five where Mike went with Charles Barkley. I went with Kevin Garnett and the rest was uh, number one, Tim Duncan, Number two, Dirk Nowitzki. Number three, Karl Malone. Number four, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, so congrats to all those guys. I'm sure that this, I mean, I think it's probably like Hall of Fame, then, you know, the top like 75 team, and then being listed on our uh, top five uh, power forwards of all time on, on the Mike and Dave podcast. And since I'll never get a chance well, not that I can reasonably expect to shout out Bob Pettit. Like, 
I at least want to like give props to the the man that's the reason the Hawks have a championship anyway. Granted, that was in 1958, and we were in St. Louis at the time. But shout out Bob Pettit. Uh, but you know how I had my qualifier, my three things that go into the uh into my rankings. Um, I'm gonna sound like such a a youth, but. The eye test doesn't compete, man. Pull up a YouTube video of Bob Pettit. It's not entertaining. Like, I appreciate the man and what he did for the for the game and for the Hawks. The first MVP, actually. But this man's highlight reel is not impressive. <laughs> like, you can't tell me Bob Pettit would be thriving right now. Dang. That's harsh. Yeah. But true. Truthful. But when we come back, we'll get into the hot seat and the fun fact. We'll close out the show. All right. So now it's time to get into the last couple segments of the show, starting with the hot seat. Mike, who do we have on the hot seat for this week? We know who it's got to be. We've all seen the video by now. And if not, we'll share it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Hey. It's Draymond Green punching teammate Jordan Poole during practice. Uh, they had a bit of a, a skirmish. We don't really don't really know what exactly was the nature of this incident, but speculation has been that Draymond is upset. I mean, I could stop there. When is he not? Uh, but Draymond is upset because Jordan Poole was, well, at the time, was about to get the extension, which he has now gotten. Uh, four year i think 140 million which i mean shows the warriors are banking on him as their future um or at least a massive part of it uh he's been extended andrew wiggins extended uh steph has his money clay has his money uh we're not really seeing a draymond green contract extension now he says that had nothing to do with the uh the practice situation i don't know uh, we know that Draymond Green is an intense character and part of what makes him good and useful for this Warriors team is the intensity that he brings. But dude, friendly fire. Come on. Um, I will say to Draymond's defense, we don't know what Jordan Poole did or did not say. Like, wasn't really a lot of audio there. It's possible he could have said something that, that triggered Draymond. But also the fact that this gets leaked in the first place, because it was from a practice session and someone from the Warriors organization must have leaked that, um, which makes me think like there's someone that wants an excuse to get Draymond off, like removed from the team uh, via trade. But the whole thing is a bad look. It definitely is. Now, there's one theory that I have not seen floating around. It's Michigan, Michigan State. So maybe there's there's some sort of like argument about like, you know, oh, Michigan's Michigan State's gonna gonna get you all this here. You worried about Ohio State? Nah, it's it's our it's our time, uh, Spartans, or whatever. Um, and then Jordan Poole's like, nah, and then Mich and then Draymond Green is just so 
so into it that that he punches him. I mean, that's that's one theory that that's that I'm putting out there. Um, you heard it here first on the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, that's that's exactly what happened. Um, my sources tell me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, obviously, like Draymond is known for being demonstrative. I think is a uh, wait Draymonstrative. <laughs> Did I just invent a new word and the only way I will ever describe him from now moving forward? I think I did. Um, so yeah, he's always been that way. This just went a little too far. He's obviously known for being very vocal in practice and pushing everybody, um, like figuratively, <laughs> maybe also physically at this point, we don't know. Um, and yeah, so this isn't necessarily extremely surprising coming from him. But it's obviously not what you want um, with one of your team, you know, the leaders of your team just like going into the season. uh, This is not the look that you want to have. And uh, obviously Draymond is also not exactly the player that he once was. So who knows what else he might have going on too. Uh, But yeah, definitely (laughs) a deserving hot seat candidate for, for this episode for sure. I love how Patrick Beverly joins the Lakers and with Russell Westbrook and the the fight that we hear going on in practice isn't even on that team. It's Draymond Jordan Poole, who just won a championship. Like y'all should be singing Kumbaya and like popping bottles in the locker room and everything. The Mike and Dave podcast is not condone such behavior, blah, 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 blah. Insert like legal mumbo jumbo here, but whatever. It's just, not odd for Draymond, odd for a winning team. Usually you, you would, I guess, expect to see this in something of like a struggling slash middling team. One that cares, but is also trash. I don't know. I, I do enjoy that uh, conspiracy theory, though. Like, um, like Jordan Poole's just been like rubbing it in Draymond's face a little too much. Like, oh, you know, like. Michigan's actually being talked about. We're ranked, you know. Y'all are uh, not. You're uh, gonna get. You're gonna get it in a few weeks when Michigan plays y'all. And then Draymond just like that savage intensity. Like, what you say? What you say about Sparty or whatever? <laughs> what's what's uh, Michigan State's head coach like? Mel Tucker. Uh huh. Getting paid that like ridiculous amount of money. For no reason, even though they're trash. I don't know. Maybe they were relating that to the contract extension that Draymond Green's not going to get. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, Draymonstrative. If you if you take uh, one thing away from this podcast, um, then please let it be that. Because I'm very proud of myself for that. Um, well, so. we can give you another opportunity to be proud of yourself. With uh, Dave's fun fact of the episode. I mean, I think I'm on a roll with some of these fun facts because this one is also a doozy. As we know, there are a lot of human beings on the planet. Okay. That's it. That's the fun fact. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I'm done. Uh, (laughs) go, Go follow us on social media. Like, rate, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. We're done. Um, no. So there there are a lot of human beings on the planet. The eight billionth human 
is going to be born at some point later this year. What's crazy, though, the real fun fact is that 48 years ago, the world's population was at 4 billion. So yes, in under half a century, the world population has doubled in size, jumping from 4 billion people to 8 billion people. Uh, that's a lot. I'm going to just say, some of y'all need to calm down. Like, it's too many kids. I can I can I mean, tell you when I go to the Walmart, I know that there are too many kids right now. I mean, you, you do not have the the highest tolerance for children anyway, especially when they're being loud and annoying in public areas. Uh, which, to be fair, like I I'm with you now. Let me whine because what you just told me is that there are almost eight billion people on this planet, and I know. That means we could have way more subscribers on our Instagram. <laughs> followers? What's going on? Yeah. Follow, yeah, followers on Instagram, yeah. Subscribers on Spotify, followers on Instagram, whatever the kids say these days. I don't know. Social media, go there, click the buttons. <laughs> these are simple requests <laughs> from Mike. <laughs> Come on, guys. It's, it's really simple here. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to go ahead and call this one a day. Uh, so hope you all enjoyed this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast, episode 40. Um, we will be back in a couple weeks with episode 41. Stay tuned for that. Make sure that you are indeed subscribed so that you don't miss out on, um, the next episode when it comes out until next time. This has been Mike. This has been Dave and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. <laughs>